Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review and this is, this is episode 22. And today I'm joined by two gentlemen that are going to help me chew the fat and discuss all things ITAM. So first of all, I'd like to introduce Rory Canavan. Rory, hello. Hi Martin, thanks for the invite today. And what could you tell us, Rory, for those of you, for, for the Sam readers that have been living under a rock and not heard of Rory Canavan, uh, what, what, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> I'm the, uh, the founder of a, uh, of a boutique practice um, called Sam Charter. We focus very much on using processes as the uh, mechanism for driving Sam in an organisation. We seek to be... Uh, uh, system or Sam Sweet Agnostic. Cool, and uh, also welcome Danny, which I believe this is your first podcast, Danny. Welcome to the ITAM Review podcast. Thanks very much, yes, it is my first so podcast. Who are you? Um, so, who, for those who of guys who don't know, do? <laughs> uh, so I'm Danny Beck. I look after HR composers, well, basically of all of us nowadays. Um, and I'm a Samsung call specialist looking after all of their licensing across the cool. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me. So I just wanted to have a quick discussion, really, on all things ITAM uh, and what's going on in the industry. Um, first of all, I, I'm, I'll bring you the news piece, and this came to me via uh, Rich Gibbons um, from Microsoft Licensing School. Uh, and he said, he shared a piece on LinkedIn that said, Microsoft is retiring the volume licensing and SAM competencies. Um, so it's quite an interesting turn from Microsoft to be, uh, I mean I've always thought of Microsoft as a bit of a pioneer for pushing SAM, they've always been first in terms of pushing things all things SAM. What do you think of this, uh, this news from Microsoft? Well, I think it's a great pity. Um, I would have liked to see Microsoft, if they're going to retire something, bring something else in. I mean, Microsoft have been looking at maturing SAM for a while. Uh, and they've gotten better at doing so. Uh, so shouldn't they be creating a new MSP or Microsoft uh, accreditation that uh, falls in line with new thoughts and new practices around SAM, rather than just retiring and getting rid of it altogether? And we did, didn't we mention uh, in, in the chat before the call today that how are they actually going to measure the competency of their SAM partners? It'd be interesting to see where they take that. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to echo Danny's, Danny's comments too, and I suspect there's, uh, th there's probably um, several propeller heads in a darkened room somewhere in Redwood actually putting this kind of material together and coming up with a cunning plan, I've no doubt. Um, as, again, as we covered in the, the chat just before our, our formal launch here, um, I seem to recall um, certainly Microsoft UK talking about setting up a SAM Academy. And it's, it's almost like a school that you go through based on the, the level of maturity you are with, with the topic. So um, I don't know whether that's going to um, spread its wings and, and get full coverage or, or whether something new is going to come out. So what's the, what's the spirit of a SAM Academy? How does that work? 
Well, this is this is going back some from what I can remember because it was at least four years ago now. But I I seem to recall that there was um, there were various SAM disciplines and you had various levels of of competency. So it, you almost came out with a matrix or a grid depending on um, how good, bad, or indifferent you were and what you wanted to sort of put in your your sort of SAM timeline in terms of learning. Um, and I vaguely vaguely recollect some sort of PR around that around sort of 2012, but I've not seen anything about it since. Well, Rich is... Yeah, I mean, without this... After you, after you I mean, without these qualifications anymore, you know, without the partners being able to get gold status, which used to allow Microsoft to actually pass on leads to their partners, that would then help their partners uh, and people, their customers mature in time. You know, how are Microsoft actually then going to deal with that? Are they just going to deal with that as an open market? You know, I know that they struggled in various regions throughout the world with gold partnership where people were just doing the exams and didn't have actually any particular clue. And I think that's kind of endemic to a lot of the Microsoft exams. You know, you can learn yourself anything and then take the, the Microsoft exam for it. That doesn't mean you're actually competent in being able to deliver it. But they, they do need to do something there. Now, in the exams that they had, they really only had one SAM exam. The other exams, admittedly, are more sales licensing, which uh, I know we spoke about earlier. Um, but even those licensing ones were quite useful for organizations in just to understand how Microsoft licensed things in the first place. So although you're doing a course that was probably maybe built towards a salesperson, if that understand how they sell the product, and maybe you to understand how to actually, you know, meet the demand for a product and actually understand how you should license the product within your own organization before Microsoft tells you so. It does say on uh, Rich's piece that there is a couple of years uh the, before the competency completely retires. Uh, and it does say that in the frequently asked questions document, it says that Microsoft will continue to drive SAM engagement through partners. Um, so that, that obviously that's that's not going to change. But I'm wondering how they're going to quantify how you know the, the skills of those partners and, and how, how good they are. So that'd be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, even, even when I, uh, I remember taking the the exam again back in sort of circa 2011 it felt it felt a bit creaky it felt a bit old old then so I'm I'm sure with the product sets now that are coming in um, a refresh is long overdue well if you we need to look right. at is the um, the SAM optimization model and that is not fit for things like office 365 which is their main thrust of their you know lifeblood at the moment isn't it? and Azure it's not really geared up for that sort of uh, um, environment, is it? I'll take your word for that, Martin. I haven't seen the sub-optimization model in a lifetime, so I wouldn't know again when it was, you know, when it last was last updated, if it's all. all right. Maybe I'm doing that an injustice. Maybe maybe it could be adapted um, to cover those environments. But I've, I've heard from end users directly that they are not using that as a model anymore to assess customers so um be interested to see what microsoft have up, up their sleeve i just think it's big i just wondered too if there's a silver lining as well because while we're waiting for this you know impending sort of pr launch from from microsoft to say what's coming in to replace it whether if you do actually have those qualifications uh, you might um see all of a sudden a ramping up of of hourly rates or daily rates or, or wages as a result of Having having grabbed that and and taken the MCP, right? 
you're saying that's going to be a sought after skill because it's no longer being given out. Well, well, yeah, because there's no if there's no means to take the um, the assessment anymore or take the MCP, then um, all of a sudden it, you're you become valuable and attractive if right. you do have it. What a weird world you live in, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so gentlemen, I've I've also seen recently in the um, ITAM news about, and and this is a recent piece, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll just read it to you. Um, and this comes from Computing Magazine that says, Oracle have been accused of improper accounting in an attempt to pump up their cloud sales, and it says that a former finance executive claims that Oracle executives tried to illegally pump up the cloud revenues. Obviously to show that they're transitioning to the cloud and they're a modern business and they're, they're on the up. They need to prove that their the Oracle Cloud is doing very well and a former finance manager has basically grasped them up for not doing so. And I, I need to stress that this is a, this is a, uh, this is a speculation about a lawsuit. We don't actually know what's happening in terms of Oracle. Any views on this, gentlemen, about uh, this behavior from Oracle? Um, I mean, my opinion on it is that I, I can't really comment too much because, of course, I don't know any, much of the details, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, in London, you know, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, they're all pushing their cloud services. So showing that their cloud services are growing is, you know, a, a big thing for each of the companies. How they've actually done that, you know, we'd have to see as it comes out further in later news. Um, but, you know, using... Uh, things like audits in order to push more um, cloud services. Um, well, I think most of the vendors are doing that and it's a far off with anyhow. We did have a podcast recently with Sanj from Team Axoft who was speculating, and I, I use the word speculating, uh, he speculated that a lot of the Oracle cloud revenue was actually based on audit true-ups. So people were saying basically, uh, you know, I'll take your cloud if you go away and leave us alone. Um, so this is this is further uh, speculation, and it is speculation at this time. But that it's uh, that their, their cloud growth is is slightly speculative. And and I think that's supported too, um, chaps, by previous uh, quarter results, where it it's been evidenced or analysed, where these sales figures have come out to say, yes, we're doing well in the cloud, and aren't we going in the right direction? Um, but the uptake of cloud usage um, has remained um, sort of conspicuous by its absence. So the, the fees have been, or the licenses have been bought, but people are very much happy with the technology they have and are staying with it, with the, the on-prem solutions or equivalents. Yeah, they bought the cloud services in order to make Oracle go away, but I actually don't use them and continue on using our on-prem. Um, I mean, people still want to stay with on-prem, on I mean, if I look at my own organization, we want to stay on prem. With the majority of stuff, we're only going to be really looking at cloud when it becomes advantageous or in a situation that's advantageous to us. You know, this whole idea of everyone moving to cloud, well, it might sound great from the vendor's point of view, but it isn't from a customer point of view. And I know that uh, Microsoft have, have shifted their partner recognition, and th this is probably going back a few years, I think, maybe saying that uh, we're going to reward you based on deployment of Office 365 and you, and the customer actively using it rather than just you selling the license. 
for, for exactly the same reasons. It shows, it shows real traction, doesn't it, when you, if you're measuring the usage by the clients rather than just how much stuff you've sold. Physical metric on the amount you've sold and the amount of actual usage, you know, and that allows you then to look at a gap and close that gap, you know, and encourage people to use it. So, yeah, I think it's more useful that type of statistic, but an article actually going to give us those types of statistics. Yeah, I think um, I think Oracle are, are, are looking for a short-term so solution to a long-term gain because obviously once once those sort of on-prem titles reach end of life and they're no longer supported, there is going to be this. People are just going to have to go over the cliff potentially and take on on-prem solutions, or excuse me, cloud solutions, um, and that's when the buy-in will come. That's when. Um, the message that Oracle is currently trumpeting can be can be trumpeted with some sense of justification then at that point. Forcing people down that route though I, I don't think works. Um, I mean, if you force everyone to go on cloud because that's it, you're not going to be selling anything more than on cloud services, when it becomes end of life, and don't forget a lot of organizations it makes no difference if it's gone end of life and it went end of life 20 years ago. They, they still use it. I mean, use technology from 20, 30 years ago and it's been end of life for, uh, since 2000. Uh, but these organizations, and probably ours included, are probably going to move more to you know, open source type software if, if you force down a particular loop, in which uh, you know, with open source, it doesn't make any difference whether you have it in the cloud or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly getting that feeling too from, from certain sectors as well, is that um, if, if there does seem to be that sort of arm twisting going on, um, I've heard on more than one occasion, right, we're making the move to, to get as much Oracle out of our IT environments as possible. So it's, um, it's, it's a fine line that Oracle have to operate on here, I think. Yeah, you need to give the customers what the customers want, not what you want. Yeah, and those customers will drive the market if need be. I was, I was just going to say, I, I remember reading that article, it was quite interesting because the, um, the, the accountant concerned, it wasn't just a case of, of her, I believe, being arsy with, with Oracle and saying, I'm not doing this because it, she's bound over by um, uh, professional ethics and also Sarbanes-Oxley requirements as well, not to misreport financial data. So um, it's... It's quite interesting, you know, from a from a governance perspective, to see how a software vendor applies itself to those um, those regulations and best practices. Well, yeah, you you would have thought in terms of revenue recognition, uh, be curious to know how they actually recognise cloud deployments if they've not been deployed. How does that work? How do you how do you measure cloud revenue when people aren't using it? Because that's, that's a Sarbanes-Oxley requirement, isn't it? Transparency in terms of revenue recognition. Yeah, yeah. And as a creative accounting, they're pulling forward sales and revenue. Uh, that doesn't actually fall into the next financial year. Unless you just say, like it's a salesforce.com subscription that you've bought January's subscription. If you don't use it, it's your hmm. problem. We're still going to bill you for it. And we're going to recognize the revenue regardless of whether you use it or not. Exactly, and since it's a 12 month subscription, we'll recognize all 12 months now, even though there's only one month left of this year to go. 
So, gentlemen, we, as we discussed prior to this call today, we're in a, a slightly, Danny, you mentioned a slightly quiet period in the ITAM calendar because um, if you were going to be audited by Microsoft, they would have done so by now because it's their end of year this month and Oracle's just finished their end of year and then we've got a bit of... I'm borrowing your ideas here, Danny, but we've got, we've got uh, some, some breathing space until the end of the year for SAP and IBM. So it's a bit, it might be a bit of quiet period for some folks out there uh, and busier for others. But as we look to the rest of 2016, um, what's on the horizon for you guys? Are, are any um, events or uh, things in the industry that are happening that you're looking forward to? I'm going to the ITAMOG event um, later this week. Um, and of course, I've got the ITAM review event over in October, uh, down at Twickenham. So, there are two events that I'll be certainly attending this year, at least, in order to mix and mingle with other professionals in the field and see what's happening out there and see what's new on the horizon. Um, other than that, my calendar is kind of booked up with things such as oh, divestiture of. Uh, home base, uh, as well as the potential major acquisition with Sainsbury's. So we, uh, w the date that we're recording this podcast is the week of the service desk show, uh, two-day event in Olympia, and then off off the one of the uh, on the same location, I believe, is the ITAM org event as well for the first time. Rory, are you part of that as well? Is that part of your calendar this year? Yeah, so I'm I'm presenting this year at, at ITAM All. Um, so do come along. Um, and then... <laughs> so more of these ones specifically, of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Seats guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, we, we should mention, of course, the, I suppose, the BCS SAM networking event that takes place sort of once every six to eight weeks in the evening in London. They've, they've got their annual event on... Tuesday, I believe, on the seventh. So it's tomorrow. So I don't know actually know whether um, a rallying call now will, will necessarily get out in time. But good luck to them, and, and I hope it goes well for them. Um, on top of that, then, as as per Danny's um, uh, little pitch, there, I'm going to be at Twickenham, but I'll also be in uh, Miami for um, for the corresponding event in the U.S. Uh, and also in July, I'm going to head out to Wellington, um, ITSMF New Zealand, have a have an event out there, and um, some travel budget money came up, so I thought, right, um, let's let's get around the world and actually see a few places and and call it work. So um, yeah, I'm I'm just out there to uh, to present okay, at that event. So listing, Rory's going to be very very busy. Yeah, it's it's all a write-off. I hasten to add, it's all in the name of work. Absolutely. So what what is the yeah. ITSMF New Zealand? Is that the ITSMF conference, or is that a SAM-specific thing, or what are you doing there? No, it's it's really the the ITSMF conference. But um, I I just felt that if if I go there, I'm I'm not necessarily competing with every man and his dog who does SAM. So I'll hopefully I'll be a bit you know a break from the norm as it were if I go in there and talk about SAM and how it can help service management just uh, in, in order to complete the circle as well we there is uh, Steve Russman's IBSMA uh, SAM summit I, I think I think is that July um, 
I've I've got sixth and seventh of July in my head, um, but I, I'm open yeah, to correction on that one. In Chicago, and then um, I believe IAI Tam are doing a conference in Dublin in the autumn as well. Again, um, yeah, they're doing that. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how the. I'm sure they might change the venue. Really? Okay, I'm not sure about. They're just. No, no, it's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, they. Uh, They've just had New Orleans, uh, so I'd be interested to see how that. I would have loved, loved to have gone to New Orleans. Um, so, what what was wrong with the Dublin mm. venue? No, no, it was, it was a good venue. I was just hoping that they would change the country, just because it's Ireland, and you know, while the Americans are already Irish, you know, they think they all came from Ireland. Um, but it would have been nice if it had been in the UK. I think we would have got probably more participation. I won't be able to get over to Dublin, I don't think, this year. Um, but if I'd have been in the UK, uh, Manchester or London, then I would have been, I would have attended. And, and I think we would have got a lot more people um, going if it had been a London-based event or a Paris-based event or an Amsterdam-based event, something right. like that. Okay. Just, just to... Um Correct the the flag waving I did earlier. There for IBS of May the the Chicago event is on uh, the 11th to the 13th of July. And guys, whilst we're on this topic, because we are uh, you know we are biased here, we are an event host. What is it that you're looking for when you go to these events? What what is it that you enjoy and 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 get out of these events? Um, what I'm looking for as a customer um, is to liaise with other customers. Uh, the one thing I really hate is having to actually um, talk to an awful lot of consultancy firms. Um, it's it's nice to get some ideas off some of them, but what I'd really like to do is actually talk to the end users and tell them what I'm doing within my business and find out what they're doing in their business. I think we're too closed off in, as an industry and we need to be much more open with each other. I think that's one thing I'm finding increasingly with these events, you can wrap Gartner into that too. I think the possible exception might be IBSMA, um, is that the the IBSMA, you, tend, you do tend to get a lot of end user groups, you know, client, potential clients there, whereas, um, you know, you go to Gartner, it's, it's, every, it's, it's like an industry get-together or... Um, um, you know the BCS. It seems to be um, the, the sort of same faces over and over again. So, um, I'm, but I'm I'm not entirely ungrateful for that because um, I go with the view to sort of signing up partners potentially as opposed to um, sort of um, looking for uh, um, uh, looking looking for clients direct. I guess it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Because I know that I, I appreciate what you're saying, Danny. You, you want to speak to fresh. Face, yeah. You, know, you speak, uh, speak with fresh uh, contacts and meet new faces. But there's also an element of people liking to, you know, like a, a bit of a reunion and having a catch up with with old friends as well. There's a bit of that that goes on, isn't there? Definitely. I mean, I know an awful lot of people at these events, and yeah, and I'll talk to you know, people from all sorts of the industry, whether they're the consultants or whether the end users that I've spoken to many times before. And there is a bit of that. I mean, yes, we'd all like to see new faces, and sometimes those new faces are kind of new to Sam. And so you end up imparting a lot of your knowledge onto them rather than getting uh, in return. But I suppose that's just one of the problems of uh, if you're actually very active in the industry um, that you get, you know. 
Well done, Montes. Yeah, I kind of hate being sold to while I'm at an event, while well, I'm actually just sharing knowledge. I think I've got as much to share with the consultants as they've got to share with me, which yeah. would help them. So just perhaps just to finish, gentlemen, um, could you share with us what is what you're perhaps working on or something that you're struggling with or, or learning about? What's new on your desk at the moment that you're trying to get your head around or trying to explore in the ITAM industry at the moment? Do you want to go? I'm going to let Bobby go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my, my, I think perhaps my perspective is slightly different from, shall we say, um, Sam at the coalface as it works. I am, I am trying to uh, grow a business, so I'm, I'm actively seeking uh, partners in, in South America for the maturity assessment that I have. Um, we've, we've recently uploaded um, German into the platform as well. So um, yeah, really, just a, it's it's more like a uh, an Alan Sugar experience than it is um, um, anything else. Just just trying to grow grow a business there. Cool. Okay. I suppose on my side is time. Um, as we all know, and Sam, you know, doing this work and doing this job can suck your time up day in day out. You know, there's never enough hours in the day. And although I could grow my team, it takes a long time to have to get people who not only are good at Sam in the industry, but there aren't that many of us around, to be honest. Um, and half the people that are decent tend to be contractors. Thank you, Rory. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and it's, it's hard to go and get decent people. And then it's hard to actually get them introduced into the business and get them to learn uh, enough to actually become useful to you. Um, so, I, I think... Probably just trying to find time is my biggest problem uh, at the moment because there's just so many questions to be answered. I I need to investigate the rumor that um, that actually David Foxen is not a natural ginger. He he just dyes his hair for sympathy. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, 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 and. Um, it was Matt Fisher who told right. me that. Yeah. Well, you know that I I yeah. may appear to be like an old badger, um, grey head badger, but <laughs> I am actually like a real um, sprightly brunette in real life. Right. So I mean, really, all those pictures of you, I sh I shouldn't be looking at them on a widescreen TV or anything like that, or a widescreen monitor. It's that's that's yes, just that yes. effect, is it? Well, it's actually it's uh it's it's, it's for effect. It's called boardroom for men. It's uh. <laughs> that extra gravitas I, I die in for extra, extra gravitas you see so uh, yeah we have to the white rings sorry what was that Danny I said the white rings yes. at the temple <laughs> yeah so we'll have to um, yeah we'll have to take David up on that and get him on the next podcast do I'll, I'll be keen to hear his feedback on that one yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, well, on that, as they say on Top Gear, on that bombshell, uh, we'll close the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, this has been the ITEM Review Podcast. Bye.